I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital in Dirt. Putting up digitals left and right. We're cutting grass around billboards. 20 years of digital. Welcome back, guys. Before we, we dive into this guest, I wanted to let you know this is going to be a special episode. It coincides with Lamar's 20 years of digital. So over 20 years ago, we recognized as a company the potential for digital to transform the out-of-home industry. We knew that digitization could make out-of-home more flexible, give advertisers the ability to change their message instantly, and connect with audience in a more relevant way, while also serving as a valuable channel to disseminate information to communities. Driven by these beliefs, we created and debuted the first digital billboard in 2001 in our hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where our headquarters are, in Pittsburgh. By 2008, we had installed over 1,000 digital boards. This year, we're celebrating the 20th year of Lamar Digital Innovation and Industry Leaderships. We now operate over 3,700 digital across the country, and that number continues to grow. My next guest, he's a very special guest, and he's accomplished a lot. He's helped from the transition into LED lighting and change from traditional vinyl to recyclable product. He is the former VP of operations for 44 years at Lamar Advertising. I've dubbed him, and I think everyone who knows this gentleman will dub him as the godfather of digital out of home, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But I just learned, and very interesting, he literally started at Lamar Advertising cutting grass around the billboards. My next guest, welcome, Bobby Switzer. Hello. It's great to have you. We could talk for a long time about the renewable energy. I could talk to you about how much fun you had to have had when you were cutting grass around billboards. But today we're going to focus on digital out of home and how you literally brought this as an idea. So let's dive right in. I've always looked up to you and I've always been inspired by someone that came up with an idea that now has literally made my career and a lot of people at this company and many other companies. So I think a lot of our guests are going to have a lot to thank you for this. So we have a lot of questions and let's dive right in. How did you come up with the idea of digital out of home? Let's talk about that and walk through how Bobby Switzer in your mind was like, hey, we should go from traditional static billboards to digital out of home. Well, first, it, it wasn't just me and it wasn't just my idea. There are a lot of characters involved with this. Some with the company still, and some are on to bigger and better things. But the the value of a billboard is based on you know where it is on traffic, but as an overall value, it's how fast you can change it. That gives it the real value. So how fast and how much it costs to change it. And one of the problems that billboards had, we used it as our selling point was you have to put it up there for 30 days. And so back in the 90s, we were watching LED as a message board. And we were looking at putting up message boards because the blue LED wasn't bright enough to really create the RGB that you need to have full color visual artwork in, in uh, all the colors. So we were watching it and in the late 90s, we started seeing the Japanese had developed a blue that was strong enough to withstand sunlight. 
And, uh, you know, we had to figure out how to control it. And when we say control it, how do we send message to the board? And as you go along, the technology is not there. And you sort of get to a point where nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, some new technology allows you to progress to the next level. And all these things have to come together. And all the stars need to line up for the first digital to happen. So we started off with uh, cable. And we were getting an internet signal through actually running a cable line to the to every board, which was causing a huge amount of cost. And then the other one that was a big problem was the units were getting too hot. And so uh, we had to develop air conditioning. And so we had to upgrade all our electric. And all these things have to come together for that moment to happen. So we started small, and it was. Uh, a gentleman named Rod Rackley and Kevin Riley at the time and myself, we flew down to Miami to talk and look at a board that was done by Dectronics. And so it was a small board, but the company we went to see was a controlling company that would do it. And they wanted to do it through satellite. And on the flight back from Miami, we all agreed that we thought we could do that ourselves. So Rod went to work and developed the software that would sort of create the the ability to control the board. It's one thing getting a digital sign, the other thing is having complete control of it. Yeah, and I most of our listeners, Bobby, are are newer to the industry itself and, and it's kind of interesting because some of my friends that are in the space, they just find a great screen, find a placement. It's just like, oh, boom, 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 plug in, play, control. And what you and for our listeners, Rod Rackley is now the president of Circle Graphics and Kevin Riley is our chairman, former CEO while Bobby was here. And what's interesting is you guys were literally having to change as technology changed and piece things together. And I think the the control aspect, that was the key. And I remember when I first started, we were I guess it was four, three and a half years we had had digital and our network operating center. So that's kind of what you and Rod had built out and others, Bill Rip included, who's still with the company. You guys built out this control center and that was at the time was game changer because no one else even had, were controlling their own boards in the very beginning, but Lamar was. Yeah, that was, uh, Bill Rip came in after Rod left. And we felt Bill was probably the best candidate to take the ball and run with it. And the good thing for Bill was it was an actual product. Uh, when Rod and I were fooling with it, it wasn't a real product. It was it was held together with gum and everything. Right. And there's a lot of funny stories that go along with it. But uh, one was we crushed ourselves when we decided to put trim around the boards because we wanted to make them look different than the billboards. And in doing so, they screwed holes all in the the frame, and we couldn't figure out why water was getting in. And so we just kept thinking Pittsburgh is awfully wet. And so that was a long struggle in uh, getting through this because you had a lot of unhappy customers. Right. And so as you guys evolve the product, you're learning more efficiencies. One of the things that I often tell clients is it's 
it's a lot like a TV, right? So over time, I know when I was a kid, we had those big tube TVs and now they've evolved and they're literally the size of your hand turned sideways. And maybe touch on that a bit, having an air conditioning unit to keep the, the digitals cool, because I'm sure we had issues with it powering down and powering up because they would overheat. Maybe talk a little bit about the different nuances. I know the louvers is a big thing that a lot of people aren't aware of. So it wasn't just put a screen up and figure out how to send a message to it. There was the elements of it being outdoor 24-7, which was very difficult. Well, one of the things and one of the big problems I have is I'll either assume you know everything that I know or I assume you know nothing. Let's assume we know nothing. Okay, so I'm going to assume, first of all, LEDs are light-admitting diodes, and they either they produce two things. You put electricity to them, and they either produce heat or light. And when we first started, we were dealing with pretty inefficient LEDs, so it created a lot more heat than it did light. So you had to cram a lot of electricity into the product. And in doing so, you created a lot of heat to get the light that you needed. And there's just some some technicalities in how much light was coming out of those first LEDs. At the beginning, they were somewhere around 5,000, what they call nits, which is a measurement of light. And uh, today, I think they're above 12,000 nits. And so we today, we run them at probably 50%, if not less, that heat. And the interesting thing about LEDs, the more they get efficient, the less energy you need to give to them to create more light. Therefore, less heat is generated. And as the product improves, we benefit in that we can run our LEDs less, they become less expensive, and there's less power and less heat. And so all those things really benefit the LED display maker and the user because at the end of the day, it costs less to, to generate, less to buy, and they last longer because heat is the enemy of the age of the product. So all those things are happening over the 20 years. And today, I really don't know all the numbers today exactly, but I would say that we're probably at half the amount of, of electrical bills that we were uh, demonstrating after 20 years. So we were half of what it was 20 years ago, and the price of electricity has gone up. So it's really a, a great move for the, the display makers. Yeah. So, so we talked about the, the evolution of technology, how we had pitfalls on the, the technical side. I remember in the early days, like in Baton Rouge and Pittsburgh were the first two digital out of home locations. And I actually remember visiting both multiple times and one of them, obviously corporate offices right across from it. And it's been interesting watching that thing evolve over time. But more importantly, the question a lot of people ask, because for billboards, it's different. There's a lot of legality that goes into it. There's a lot of loopholes that you have to jump through in each county and each parish. In the beginning, how did you select Pittsburgh and Baton Rouge? Baton Rouge makes sense because our corporate office is there, but why Pittsburgh? And then as it evolved, how did we determine where these very costly at the time locations and, and units would go up? Well, uh, we started with Baton Rouge because it was easy in the sense that we were there and we knew that market and 
and legally we could put one up. But really what we did at the beginning, nobody likes change. And this was a big change. So what we're really we wanted is if a manager called up and said they wanted one and they could demonstrate that they could pay it back, we were anxious to give it to them. So it really, Pittsburgh showed up because Stan Geyer stood up and said, me first, I want it. And we gave him not only that first large digital, but at the time, I think that was a 14 by 40. We couldn't even afford the to do the whole board because it was $500,000 to do the whole board. And then we put a static backlight on the end and it was just sort of promoting the sign. So we just trying to get it in so we can make, make some money. And not that we were, we were definitely interested in making money, but at the beginning we were really just, we had a budget and let's see what we can do it. And the cool part about it is we were able to pay for it all the way through with revenue. And so from day one, I think the first one made money. Wow. And so one of the things that I'm assuming, I know when I came on, we were starting on the marketing side when I was working for Tommy Teeple, our former CMO, was the reaction of the advertisers. And I know that's one thing that Stan had to deal with is how many slots or spots would be on the panel. So maybe touch on that a bit. I know in the beginning, we had upwards of like 20 clients rotating and we were trying to find that happy medium place. What were some of the, the reactions that you would hear from clients and how did we finally come down to, you know, six to eight advertisers that's now standard? Yeah, those are a few different questions there. First, the slot versus the spot versus day part, all that. I stayed out of that. Uh, I felt that that was marketing and uh, Tommy people, you know, had, had a better idea on how that would work and dealing with the customers. They keep me away from the customers. <laughs> the other part of that is as far as when we first started, we had done a few bulletins and then decided we wanted to do a network of posters. And Stan stood up and said, I want those too. And so he got those. And at the time, we, we were dealing with Dectronics, but we didn't want to have one supplier. At the time, we felt that they were probably the best group at the time. And so the next thing we decided, we'd, we'd go look at another vendor. And we went out to uh, Las Vegas and the guys that were putting up digitals left and right out there were Yesco and they weren't doing any billboards. They were doing mostly big uh, marquees. And so, but they had a good understanding of, and I thought they were a pretty good team, but most of their boards were done. They were in Vegas out in very dry areas. So they didn't, they didn't make it as, as waterproof. So we, we sent all those units and packed them up and, and sent them over to Pittsburgh and we had some problems with them. But the good part about it is all these companies responded well. You know, if there was a mistake, they stood up and stood behind it and did a great job with us on that. The question I remember now is, how did we come up with six and eight slots? And so one of the things that one of the first boards we put up was in um, Destin. 
And the manager there was happy to, you know, get it. And we had no controls on it. You could put as many as you wanted. We let the sort of the market dictate it. And he started to have 12 and 13 spots. And we felt that if one is good, two must be better, three must be fantastic. But eventually there's a diminishing return. And we tried to figure out where that was. And what we came up with was six. And I think that that worked. And we found that we could do that. Now, really, there's nine. When we had it, there were nine slots. Three of them were set aside for the city, the county, the state, emergencies, all sorts of things that we would set them aside. And we felt that if we didn't, and our competitors were not following those rules, and they would put up, you know, 10, 15, 20 different advertisers, they would sell them, and they would sell it cheaper than us. But we felt that uh, we were going to have some integrity in it, and that's how we went to it. As far as going to eight, I don't know all the different guys at the time, I think it was Clear Channel. They had come into the market a little bit after us and made a huge splash in Cleveland. And they came in and put up, I think, about six to eight of them. And they were running eight slots. And so we got a lot of pushback on going to eight. And what we decided was if that board had an occupancy up at 100% for so many months, then it could support one more. But if we put digital in the market too fast, we saw occupancy drop and rate drop. And so that's where we were always watching the line. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's an interesting thing, right? And, and we still have competitors today that do that, that are selling just almost infinity slots. But to your point, I think what I loved about the Lamar process over the last 20 years with digital was just that. It was understanding what the demand is beyond just one panel. We then started to determine you know, hey, in this size market, these are the amount of boards, even if there are heavy demand at certain points, demand is a good thing. So let's not oversaturate the market with digital out of home, because as much as we love digital out of home, we also understand the importance of traditional static and how they can be used together. Going back to the the point about Dactronics, then bringing on Yesco, one of the things early on in my career that I remember was you guys had like a digital picnic. And what we did was, for our listeners, is we brought in Dactronics, Yesco, and I believe it was one other company, but they would come in and they would set up their four, three or four screens and no labels. They weren't allowed to stand by their panels, but throughout the day and the week in Baton Rouge, we were running content and we were playing with it. And what it did is it created this element of competition and understanding of what what is a superior digital screen. And I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, our objective there wasn't to pick the best out of the three, but it was, hey, these are the standards where you need to be. And those of you who, who have been in South Louisiana in August, it's literally the most miserable place from a weather perspective with constant rain and heat and then dry weather and then rain again randomly throughout the day. So that's one of the projects that I enjoyed to watch was how we were helping the industry on the on the operations side develop and grow as opposed to just picking a winner. 
yeah, I think that uh, I've forgotten about this. We call them the shootouts. And I, I've done that in my, over the years, I've done where I get a lot of different opinions. And we call it the pizza test because we always would serve pizza and beer while we were looking at these things. And I remember everybody at corporate, we did it in the parking lot and everybody at corporate got to come up and we asked them to sort of rate them. And we just had a big A, B, and a C, I think, on top of it. And they just had to, and they had to rate it based on color, you know, on different things. So that was a good time. And from that, we would get, and it was always interesting. I would never win because I always would thought, this is the best one. Everybody would tell me differently, but that's either there. I, um, one of the things that we came out of all that was trying to get, different vendors because I, what I wanted was a small, medium and a large vendor base so that nobody, nobody could control us or win the day. And so that was, uh, that was an interesting deal, but we found out later that once you made the decision to go with a particular board, you were sort of stuck with them because you had to use their products to repair it. And then if you ever wanted to change it out and keep the frame, you'd have to go back to their product. So we decided to standardize the size of the module and that that module had to fit into everybody's frame. We started doing that uh, probably around 13, 14. We started coming out because we were going through all these replacements. And that's one of the big problems is these things wear out. So it's an interesting phenomenon that happens it's not like the old billboards that last for 30 and 40 years these you know at the beginning were they said eight years but really only lasted five years and then then uh, now they're saying 10 years and those last eight years were up to about 12 years they're saying and they're lasting probably about 10 years so and all that happens because of the heat issue in the LED yeah and it's, and it's interesting because in the world of data that we live in today, those companies that we're buying digital from and even internally at Lamar, we're, we're better making decisions based off of, hey, in this region of the country, like you had mentioned, Las Vegas and Phoenix, this is how you need to care for those. I, I remember early on in my career hearing a lot of stories about, hey, we have to go off in Vegas and the louvers, and for our listeners, the louvers were kind of the um, the slates in between the LED lightings to make sure that the message was portraying in the right direction per se for the for the uh, consumers that are driving past. And there was a lot of like care for them. All right, in this market, you need to have those louvers cleaned off often, certain times of the year to get the dust off, and that way the message is still bright. And in the south, this is how you need to handle them having. So I, what I've enjoyed is, is the evolution, not only of the product, and we'll touch on that in just a second when I ask you about the future, but just how to maintain these by region and now having all this historical data. So now when we go to these companies, we can say, hey, these locations are likely going to be in the, the Northeast or there, where there's heavy snow in the wintertime. You know, let's, let's evolve this product. And, and I think a lot of our listeners probably take this for granted. And again, to my point, it's just, hey, it's just as billboard on the side of the road, but what you and your team has put into this over the years is just interesting. So let's touch on the network operating center or what we call internally the NOC. 
in the early days and what that's evolved into today. And for our listeners, the knock is a location that's here at corporate that they're constantly monitoring the uptime, the efficiencies of digital, the rollout of digital. The one place, Bobby, whenever I bring guests in and that visit corporate, I bring them straight to the knock because I think it's just this cool location. With so I uh, would venture to say that the knock at the beginning was just for eye candy. Here we are, a medium that's a hundred and something years old. We are considered the not very uh, exciting medium, and we are doing a leapfrog ahead of everybody else. And at the time, we were a public company, and so we wanted to make sure our investors saw that we were jazzing it up a little bit. So at the beginning, we started, and we put it right next to the reception center in a glass bubble over on the old old office. And at the beginning, it's not real sexy, We but we put up the big flat screens, and we had bells and whistles and buttons that we could dial and fool with and everybody got all jazzed up about it. We thought it was fabulous. Uh, so you basically created a Hollywood set. That's one of the reasons why I stayed with Lamar in the very beginning. I was like, wow, that's cool. They even have a Red Bull refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> so that was to keep everybody awake. This was at the beginning where we didn't have a lot of units. And so now we have so many, I mean, there's so many innovations that happened that I had no idea was happening. I mean, they, they were doing a lot of things in the knock and, and Rachel runs that and she got it down to exactly how many people you needed in there to all these different things to control the content. We wanted to push that control out to the customer and how do you then control it from them putting on anything. She developed a lot of those techniques in that process. So, you know, it is the the sexy side of our business, but remember that as far as revenue, it's in the 20% of our revenue. And as far as number of boards, I think it's about 3% of our boards. So it's sort of the tail wagging the dog a little bit, but I think it is the future of the medium. But we don't, we're still doing innovations on the static side. Yeah. The old network operating center. It was definitely a really cool spot. And now it's used for more efficient things. But I think it set the standard because in the beginning, a lot of other competitors that came into the space, they leaned more on the vendor of the screen. And a lot still do today. Dactronics has a great network operating center package that you can buy. But Lamar, like a lot of our IT stuff you decided that it was best for us to control and to manage it. And I know that was the selling point. Hey, we are selling you the product. We've developed the back end as far as how to get your message live to the board. So therefore, if a screen goes down, if your content's not displayed correctly, we're going to own the customer portal, the login, the entire experience, and it's going to go up as fast as possible. And now, obviously, the industry's evolved and everyone has set those standards, but you kind of set that into play. One of the questions that I also had was how quickly after Lamar launched its first digital in Pittsburgh and then in Baton Rouge, did competitors follow? I know you had mentioned Clear Channel in Cleveland. Was it a year, two years? How far advanced were we ahead of our competition on this? I would say we were probably a year and a half to two years ahead of Clear Channel. 
we don't tend to toot our horn, but they came out hard in Cleveland and Albuquerque, and I congratulate them on that. But by that time, we already had probably 40 fours. And in 2000, I think four or five, we had a, a regional managers meeting, at which time I challenged the regional managers to put up 300 digitals over a three-year period. And it was an interesting conversation from let's go, let's do it, let's get it done. And it can't be done from the other spectrum. There's no way, you can't get it, not legal. So the proofs in the pudding, I think we're closing in on 4,000 now. And our competitors, the independents, that we go against because we don't really go against the clear channels. I think we have a few places in competition with them, but I don't really worry about what they're doing. We believe that we're out ahead. One of the things that you touched on is that we do all the in-house sort of knock. We also do in-house maintenance of all the signs. So we're the only company that I know of, and I'm probably wrong on that, but we have the largest digital display maintenance company in the world. And those guys are the best in the industry. One of the things that we really wanted was, and I'm going to take you back a little bit, which we don't have anymore, are flags. And flags were when we had paper and they would crack and start to peel. And so we eliminated that. But when you have a digital and one module's out, I consider that a flag, and the longer it sits there, the more it just hurts our image. And so that was one of the things that we wanted to work on, is to have the highest quality out on the street at all times. And that's what having your own maintenance and tech guys, and those guys are called digital techs, and they are the cream of the crop of our industry. Yeah. So a couple of things on that for our listeners, I'm giving you the high level version, but our knock says, Hey, panel one, two, three, four is down. The market, local market is also identified. And each one of our digital screen sizes are made up of a certain amount of modules that go in. But now today, it's not just roadside digital. It's, you know, screens are all over the space and you guys have paved the way for all these other different media types. Did you ever envision in the beginning, like, hey, this is going to be the future of not just roadside billboards, but this is going to become the future of the industry itself. Well, one of the questions I have that always the people are asking me are, when is it going to be all digital? And I don't think it'll ever be all digital, mainly because the static board is a very effective board and it will always be there. Now, is there going to be more digital? I think there's probably, you know, the definition of are we a digital company or we're a static company? And it'll come when we're 50% of our revenue comes from digital. You know, right now, 3% generates 20%-ish, I guess. So would that mean that 10% would produce 50%? That may be. I think that as you add more and more digital, the rate will not be as robust as it is today, and occupancy won't be as high as it is today. 
and you just got to watch that. So in one aspect, should we just take all the boards down and put them, put all digital back up? And we did models of that. And every year, Lamar would have a regional manager meeting. And every year, I would have Bill Ripp, who is our sort of smartest guy in the room. And I'd have him develop these models of if we did this, what would this? And every year, I would throw it out at the regionals to sort of be provocative and try to evoke some wow factor of, man, that's cool. And so one of the things that was very interesting is when Hurricane Michael came through and knocked out Panama City, we decided to not build back any just static boards. Now, I'm sure there was one or two that we did that, but it was the real goal of, because all the boards are on the ground, let's increase the number of digitals and to see what happened. And we, we did the scenario of what does it take to get back to that same revenue that we had before the storm? And what we found was if we did the digital, it was quicker and it was less expensive to get back to the same revenue. And so today I haven't followed the numbers, but it would be interesting to follow exactly what Panama City's done and where they are because you run the risk of putting too much digital too quick and you can destroy your rate and occupancy. So it's interesting. Little old Panama City is probably one of the highest percentages of digital in our footprint. Yeah. And it, it has evolved over time, but as we continue to evolve as an industry with digital, we're inviting, whether we're, we like it or not, we're inviting new tech companies to come into the space and help improve it. And it's our job at Lamar, at Clear Channel, at Outfront, or these other place-based companies to invite these tech companies to come in and say, hey, how do we evolve Bobby Switzer's thought 20 years ago to today? And a lot of different companies have come out of it the way that we sell you know, not only do we continue to sell at local, regional, and national, but now we have introduced programmatic over the last eight years. And one of the things that we're going to celebrate over the next three months of 20 years in digital is a timeline. And all of the great campaigns that have revolutionized the creative aspect. And that that's one of the things that I think the industry can thank you for, and obviously the team behind you over the years. But I'll kind of leave you or ask you one last question. Where do you see the future? I know you don't like to talk about where we are today, but where do you think the industry is headed towards the future in the sense? Is it going to be a hologram on the side of the road? We've seen drones flying that produce LED lighting. Is there something that you have in your back pocket? I wish I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, my feeling is, is that all those things will happen. If I was in the shoes today, I would work every day on trying to make the product more robust. That means you you get it to where it doesn't break, it works 100%, or it tells you right before it's going to break so you can get out there and make sure it looks good. You want to have less visits to the, to the board. The other is you want to make it to where it's 
easier to install, easier to to maintain, and all those things. And then the next is keep working on the price. And so those are the things that I think that we continue to work on. And if we do that, it'll pass the time for the next innovation to happen. And you just can't sit around waiting for it to happen. You got to stay busy. You got to be doing things. The final thing is it's all about the people we have and getting them educated, trained up to do more, get more pay, stay longer, make a career in the, in the business. And right now, finding people and getting them trained up is a very expensive deal. So we need to keep everyone we've got. Yeah. And I think that's what Lamar does great. I think that's what the operations backside has done. So that's one of the things I appreciate. Bobby, if nobody else enjoyed this podcast, I know that I did. And this was a great history lesson of digital out of home in our space. And again, once again, very thankful. And I know all of our listeners that have, uh, I feel like they should all send you a ham or a check for helping pave the way for their companies and their careers. So I appreciate everything you've done and I've, I've appreciated this conversation, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.